Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Good morning, church. I want to thank Eddie Humphrey for preaching two weeks ago today as he finished up for us uh, the third chapter of Galatians in our series in the book of Galatians. And uh, then I want to thank Dr. Jason Gish for preaching last Sunday and leading us in the Lord's Supper. And both Eddie and, and Jason did a, an amazing job, and I was so blessed uh, to worship uh, remotely, virtually, and with these two guys leading, and it was they were both special days, so I, I want to thank them. I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Galatians 4. I appreciate Les Williams reading the passage for us a few moments ago. As we continue our series on the glory of the gospel, today the glory of the gospel, the glorious transformation, Paul writes the epistle to the churches in Galatia, reminding them that not only are they saved, but they continue to live by grace through faith in Christ alone. And the issue arose, as you will remember, that some Judaizers, that is Jewish believers supposedly had come to the churches in Galatia and were sharing with them that it's not simply Christ alone, faith in Christ alone, but it's faith in Christ plus the rituals, the sacrifices, the law, circumcision. In other words, they were saying to these converted Gentile believers It's not simply enough to put your faith in Christ, but you really need to also become a Jew in order to continue in Christ. And apparently the Judaizers were gathering a pretty sizable following. Lots of people were choosing to believe what they were saying. And so Paul gets wind of it and he is really upset. And thus we see the book of Galatians. And Paul has no problem being very direct with those that he loves in the churches in Galatia. Now, if I were to give you a summary of the fourth chapter of Galatians, it probably would be something like this. We Once we were slaves to sin and the law, now we are children of God. How can you even consider going back or choosing a different way of life than that which brought you to Jesus, to being right with God through faith in Christ alone. John Newton, as we know, wrote Amazing Grace, perhaps the most famous hymn in all the world. We sing it often. And in the hymn, John Newton wrote, I once was blind, but now I see. So the question for the Galatian believers would be, are you going to put your eyes out now? Or Newton also wrote, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And So the question for the churches in Galatia would be, are you going to intentionally get lost all over again? And Paul is hopeful that the answer to that will be no. And we are hopeful also that the answer for us would be a resounding no. We are saved and we continue by faith, by grace, through faith in Christ alone. Now, in the fourth chapter, you take verses 1 through 3 and you find that those verses talk about man's condition under the law. Then verses 4 through 11 talk about man's condition in Christ. So that's two kind of broad divisions of chapter 4. 
Every mother knows the distinct cry or the distinct voice of her child. A mother can be in a room full of other mothers and full of lots of children. And if her child cries out, Mommy, you'll find that mother does not need to look at the woman next to her and say, Was that your child or mine? She knows the voice of her child, and she responds immediately. So what is true of earthly mothers and their children is true of us as God's children. When God adopts you and me as his own, when you become his child, he sends his spirit into our lives, into our hearts, by whom, according to verse 6, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, which is simply a phrase of intimacy. So understand, Paul is saying God knows and hears your cry. When you call out to him, he knows your voice. He knows you intimately. And he gives to us, uh, when, when we belong to him, he gives to us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who then testifies in our hearts that we are the children of God. Sometimes people will ask me, Pastor, how do we know for certain that we belong to Christ? And my response is, if you have placed your faith in Christ alone, then God gives you the Holy Spirit who in your heart will testify and remind you and assure you and let you know that you belong to God. Paul uses that as a reminder that we as believers are children of God. So in this text today, we see the glorious transformation from slave to sons or daughters of God. Now, allow me, if you will, to divide the chapter up into four sections. I realize verse 1 through 3, we've already said as a large section man or small section man's condition under the law, then the rest of the passage man's condition in christ but let's look at those as four distinct parts first bondage and slavery so look back at verse one what i'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age he is no different from a slave although he owns the whole estate the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. So here, Paul is saying, here is our condition under the law apart from Christ. We are in bondage or in slavery. And as Paul does so, he points to the familiar Roman system of the day that every Galatian believer would know about it's a pagan system so paul's not advocating it he's simply reminding them of it in his illustration a boy did not become a man until he reached a particular age designated by his father uh, an age determined by his father generally between 14 and 17 years of age and on march the 17th of the designated year the decided year march 17 was the day of recognition a family celebration as well as a communal 
celebration, a day called Liberalia. We get our English word liberty from that. And the father on that day would publicly adopt his son. Now, what that means is he would acknowledge his son to be a man and recognize him as his rightful heir. And until that day, the child lived under guardians, as uh, Eddie so beautifully shared with us two weeks ago. On this day, March 17th, the day of Liberalia, the boy-man would put on the toga of an adult, and he would be ushered by his family to the local forum and introduced to the public. And liberty, freedom, then began to be his experience, the liberty and freedom of manhood, and he was recognized as the rightful heir to the inheritance of his father. Until that day, the child was viewed like a slave under guardians, as it were, except it was known that the day was coming when he would be adopted or recognized, whereas that would not happen with slaves. So, Paul is reminding us here, before our day of salvation, we are held captive under the yoke of the law. We are kept in bondage. And verse 3 is a reminder that we were once in slavery to spiritual forces, to dark spiritual forces, to gods that are not God. Oh, did we necessarily feel oppressed all the time? Probably not. Were we as bad as we could have been? Certainly most of us were not. But there was an emptiness, a vacuum on the inside that could be filled only by God. And Paul reminds us of what we once were, lest we forget we were once in bondage or slavery to sin. So having said that in verses 1 through 3, then Paul gets to the good news. He reminds us of what we used to be. And he gets to the really good news, beginning with verse 4, when he says, secondly, we are adopted. We are adopted by God. Now look again at verse 4 and 5. But, the conjunction, B-U-T, one of my favorite words in the Bible, because every time it appears, it means here is what God has intervened to do. So we were once in bondage and slavery, but, verse 4, but, When the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. That's why I call it the glorious transformation. Here is the transformation. God sent his son and God gave the Holy Spirit. And we are no longer slaves. God sent Jesus to adopt us into his family. God takes the initiative. Where in the world did we ever get the idea that we're running after God? No, we're not. God is pursuing us, wooing us, calling us, drawing us to himself. And he started the whole thing. It was his initiative when he sent his son. The holy heavenly father could not simply take sinful people like us to himself and call us his own without dealing first with our sin. And that's the why 
of verse 4. When the time set had fully come, God from eternity past had determined the time. And when that time came, God took the initiative. God did it. God sent his son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem us, to save us, to rescue us from darkness and lostness. He took on human flesh and submitted himself to the curse of the law. He became God in the flesh. That is, Jesus became God in the flesh and was crucified. He became the curse for us. Stunning, isn't it? A family has a child. Then they decide they're going to adopt a child. What if it was required that they kill their first child in order to adopt the second child? And even if the promise was the first child will rise again, what family would kill their first child in order to adopt a second child? None. No one. Never. Such a thing is unthinkable. Our son and daughter-in-law have four adopted children would they have would they have killed the the first one in order to adopt the other three absolutely not never never would they do that yet god gave his son to be killed on a cruel roman cross so that we can be adopted into his family astonishing god paid the price to adopt us. In 1 John, the third chapter in the first verse, John writes, See what great love the Father has lavished. I like that word, lavish. See what great word, love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that was that is what we are. <laughs> remarkable. Remarkable. Let's go to a third thing, and that's this. Son, sons of God. Sons of God. Look back at uh, the sixth verse in chapter 4. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. That, 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 That term of intimacy here is not just the transformation here is the glorious transformation what a privilege to be called sons of god our privilege is a change in nature second corinthians five seventeen says if anyone be, is in christ he is a new creation the old is gone the new has come we've been transformed from the inside out we have a new spiritual dna god's DNA. How? The Spirit comes into our lives, according to the Scripture. Another privilege is is a change of disposition. We become newborn babies, as it were, newborn babies whose cries are known to God Himself, up close and personal. Abba, Father, according to verse 6, Intimacy, dependence, joyful 
secure, loved. Those are all words that describe our relationship with God. We are distinctive as believers, as adopted sons and daughters of God. And that leads us to the fourth thing. According to verse 7, we're heirs of God. So look at verse 7 again. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Can you imagine? You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The glorious, amazing transformation. Verse 7 is what Paul has been leading up to all along. In, In talking of our being the child of God, being transformed, being adopted. The Gentile Christians are sons, not slaves. They ought to know it in their hearts because of the presence of the Spirit in their lives. And as children, they are heirs of all of the promises of God. Every promise God made in Scripture to His children belong to us. They are our possession as sons and daughters of God. So you can change all the pronouns in in that seventh verse that talk about them, you know, those Galatian believers. You can change all those pronouns and make them personal. Us, you, we, me. And remember that we are heirs of God. Every promise is our possession. Isn't that remarkable? A glorious transformation. We're no longer in bondage. We're no longer slaves. But we've been set free. We are adopted by God. We are sons of God. We are heirs of God. And then as we come to the end of the section, verses 8 through 11, we think about past, present, future. Past, present, future. Where you were, where you are, where you will be. Look again at uh, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish continuing future, future? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So you've got what you were, you've got what you are, you've got what you could be. Or what you will be. You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. So Paul is saying, don't go back to gods that aren't gods. Idols that aren't real. What the world has to offer which does not satisfy but only keeps you in bondage. You came to faith in Christ. By faith in Christ alone. Now don't make it faith plus. What does the world offer? I've always called it the four P's in a pod. The world offers power, prestige, possessions, and popularity. None of those are lasting, and none of those are satisfying, and none of those put you on solid ground. 
So don't go back to slavery, Paul's saying to the Galatian believers and saying the same thing to us. You came to faith. You, you came to know God by grace through faith in Christ alone. Don't change it to say I, I've got to live by faith plus. What would it be? Faith plus good works? Faith plus church membership or baptism or, or Lord's Supper or um, certain gifts of the Holy Spirit? Whatever. No. Paul says, no, don't go there. It's unthinkable. One reason so many Christians seem so drained and so many churches so dead is that we've taken the life out of our faith. What are we thinking? God, you have made me a son, but I prefer to be a slave. What? Who in the world is going to say something like that? God, you've set me free, but I'd really rather be in chains. What? Paul's saying, why would you even think that? Why would you even remotely think that? It is absolutely unthinkable. Now, I, I want to point out verse 11 one more time, and we're, we're done. Paul says, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Whoa, zinger, Paul. I feel like I've wasted my time on you. Had he? No. That's why he kept writing. That's why he kept writing. He's not through yet. We're in chapter 4 and there's two more chapters after this one. Paul's, Paul's not finished with Galatia. God's not finished with you or I either. We're not going back. We've been transformed gloriously. We are moving forward with Jesus with our eyes on him. Understanding that we were saved by faith in Christ alone and we live by faith in Christ alone. Remember what you were. Remember what you've become and refuse to go back because you've been gloriously transformed by the, by grace through faith in Christ alone. Think of amazing grace one more time. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me i once was lost but now i'm found was blind but now i see gloriously transformed let's bow together for prayer father draw someone to yourself today that they might come to know you through jesus by grace through faith in him alone and for those of us who've already made that commitment, I pray that you will strengthen us and that we will remember that we live by grace through faith in Christ alone. In his name I pray. Amen. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you're watching from, but I just want to ask you, do you know Jesus? Have you placed your faith and your trust in him? If not, will you call out to him today and say, Jesus is Lord come into my life forgive my sin I, I want to follow you from this day forward and if you'll call out to him today i hope you'll let us know there's a way to contact us on the screen right now and i hope you'll contact us so that we can help you to grow as a christ follower and so church uh, thank you for your faithfulness uh, these are certainly uh, challenging times we've not walked this way before we certainly are walking by faith by trusting Jesus. And so I miss you. 
and hope that it won't be terribly long till we'll be able to see each other in our worship center once again. Stay faithful. Thank you for your faithfulness in praying and in ministering to people around you and in giving your gifts to the church and able us to sustain our ministries. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. And may this be an extraordinary week for each and every one of you. Let's close with our benediction from Jude chapter verses 24 and 25 as we have been doing since March the 15th. And I think this has become a special benediction for us. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. As a community, First Baptist Felton exists for the purpose of knowing Jesus intimately, serving Jesus passionately, and sharing Jesus globally. We hope today's message encourages and strengthens your faith in God. 